Ken Rosen, thank you so much for joining me on Path and Purpose today. It is a pleasure to get to speak with you. Uh, you are leading the company Council at Work, and this is following years of experience as a council facilitator and particularly leading up the European branch of the SNAP Inc. Global Council Program. This is what we're going to look at um, with some fine focus today and learn about what you see happen cross-culturally in this container of council. What is council? Why do you do it? How does it work? What problems does it solve? What pain points in our world that we're addressing, especially, you know, you and I focus on in our work, helping leaders and teams build community, build trust, uh, create more successful relationships in general so that there can be more productivity, better results in the work that we do. But I am so looking forward to hearing your stories about this work in council. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. Wonderful. Um, so where, where I think we really need to dive in to start is giving our listeners a better understanding of what this practice is because they have heard me talk about counsel before. And I've mentioned that this is my mother's career. You and Carmen know each other. Carmen, my mom, was part of seeding the Global uh, Council Program at SNAP back in 2016. Um, and earlier, actually, she started, I think, in 2014 or around there. And I want to help people get a better sense of, you know, is this counseling? Is this a circle? What is this thing, council? And what's the big deal? So how would you describe council, Ken, just to give us some grounding before we begin? Sure. Uh, I always love the phrase, it's not therapy, but it's often therapeutic. So um, it's a circle. It's uh breaking through the hierarchical structures uh, that exist, whether in companies, between employees, directors, managers, or you know, in our everyday lives. Um, and putting everyone on what I would call like a, the same plane, you sit in circle, uh, you see each other uh, on an equal level, everyone can see one another in circle. And at its heart, it's sharing stories. It's introducing um, relevant prompts uh, either to create connection or uh, as often in business to work through um, maybe uh, challenges that are happening within the team or the company. Uh, it can be used to um, brainstorm ideas, to uh, share wisdom. So it really serves in a lot of different ways. Uh, at its heart, for me, it's it's about connection and sharing stories, and as a result, uh, uh, creating empathy as we learn more about one another and understand more about uh, our backgrounds and where we're from and how we kind of see the world and our perspectives. Uh, inevitably, the results are uh, more understanding, more empathy, and from a business perspective, more and better workflow and productivity, because when you feel connected to your coworkers and your colleagues, 
it's easy to understand each other better and work better. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I think the, the piece that I hope people can really take away from this is just even in this first level of understanding counsel is that same plane and the circle. Yeah. And I want to ask to continue building foundation here. Sure. What are the origins of counsel? Um, you know, obviously this is my understanding of it. There's often different. I was, uh, you know, brought up uh, through uh, the Ojai Foundation, um, through uh, the mentoring circle. Um, my understanding is, uh, you know, looking back at in- indigenous cultures and that, and that, you know, council was based in, uh, you know, using uh, a talking piece to designate whose turn it is to speak, to uh, let the listener know that uh, it's not their turn, it's, it's, it's their turn to listen, giving the speaker that uh, attention. Uh, and it would be typically around a campfire or a fire, because that's where um, a lot of uh, these processes would occur and the fire is a natural place that happens to share stories and to connect, uh, bringing in that nature element, of course. Uh, and uh, so, so as that sort of evolved and then through the genesis of Jack Zimmerman, who, you know, what Gigi Coyle uh, had, you know, wrote the book and, you know, the, it, I guess council found them in a way uh, through, you know, meeting with, with certain leaders from those indigenous cultures. And they, it, then it was kind of interpreted uh, in an effort to bring it to, you know, more Western culture or, or, or in this case, North American culture. Uh, I learned about it through working at Crossroads School, uh, where uh, when, you know, many years ago, Paul Cummins had connected with Jack Zimmerman and there was this idea of how how to bring students together in a form that they can express themselves and be present in the current moment. Uh, you know, the story goes that a, a student came to Paul Cummins, who was the founder and at that time head of school. And, uh, you know, we learn history and, and talk about the past. We look at science and technology. You know, when is there a space for us to connect and discuss and, and share what's happening for us now. So that that's the story I heard about the evolution of how it got to Crossroads. And uh, I entered Crossroads after a career change. I was working in the entertainment business and had a crisis of conscience and that what am I giving back to my community? And uh, was, you know, through a series of events kind of started as a substitute teacher and then saw the council program and just got that hit of like, wow, this is amazing. I want to be a part of it. And then from there interning and then um, uh, actually went to school and got a master's in school counseling, not, not because uh, it, it would support the council practice, but because I really enjoyed being with students in a different way. I didn't want to be like an English teacher. So uh Fortunately, uh, the, uh, a position opened and I was able to become a, uh, a mysteries life skills teacher and to facilitate counsel with students. And um, that just reinforced that belief and then kind of put me on the trainer's path. Um, and uh, 
I see it as um, just bringing in the the essence of of what we what connects us as people, and that's to me storytelling. Whether you're watching films or television or reading books or magazines, or just talking with friends or family, uh, the heart of of so much of who we are is our is the story. Um, so. Did I yeah. answer that? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I want to, I want to also, because, you know, I'm, I'm aware as Carmen's daughter and I've grown up with counsel, I was not at crossroads, but right. I have a vantage point that is this interesting bridge between the early days of facilitators at the Ojai Foundation. And I want to give our listeners an understanding right. too of how this has evolved. So just really quick, like the map, if you were to look at the map and from what I can see, and I want you to add anything, Ken, that I miss, there's the Ojai Foundation and Jack Zimmerman's work and Gigi Coyle, who wrote The Way of Council. And this started sharing and spreading word from how we were adopting and in interpreting this practice of sitting in circle and we'll share the, I'll ask you about the four intentions and really what kind of shifts, you know, a circle with friends at a picnic to a council circle. What is the difference and how do you drop in? And then, so you've got the book, you've got the Ojai Foundation, which is sacred land that's uh, near, just below Santa Barbara in California and gorgeous land that has held sweat lodges and trainings and um, gatherings and offsites nowadays. And then, yeah, spreading counsel through the school system, starting with Crossroads. And I I live nearby uh, New Roads, which also uses counsel and more and more schools are using practices like this. It's now in the prison system. It's being brought through the Center for Counsel into Um, work with the police. It's been used and there's the European Council Network. So just to give people a sense, this is not just a few individuals carrying a torch for the practice of circle outside of what is indigenous old ancient practices of carrying circle in cultures throughout time and various versions of this. So now we're looking at the age and what I'm very excited to talk with you about, Ken, is your work bringing counsel in this practice or what some call social technology, different than social media, but social Mm -hmm. technology into technology spaces, right? right? Tech and into relationships, you know, of course with partnerships, we can bring this into our personal life, but what it looks like and why we need, why do we need something like this today? So, Ken, why do yeah. we need this practice today? We need it uh, as a way to um, to really understand and I want to say grow together. I'm thinking about how so much of the work now is done remotely, you know, especially obviously in the last couple of years, and that there aren't those sort of what I call micro kitchen moments where in a workspace, you would, you know, see a colleague that you hadn't connected with or talked to over the weekend, you know, they're a work friend, but that 10, 15 minutes that you have maybe pouring your cereal and making coffee and talking to that person that you don't usually talk to because they're on a different team and a different department. Those are so valuable. And 
obviously, if you're not physically in those spaces, you're not having those moments. And as companies have sort of tried to implement, you know, the happy hour or, you know, the quiz online, things that try to sort of build connection, there's something that's lost either because it's unfacilitated and sort of the forward extroverts of that of that unit will kind of be the ones filling the space while some people don't feel comfortable, you know, council brink comes in and it's like, everyone's going to have an opportunity either to share or at least to acknowledge witness and pass. If they don't feel like sharing, they just want to listen. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have someone coming in to allow all the team members to be seen on an equal uh, level. Right. So it's not the manager who's leading it in a typical meeting and it's not, the other employees presenting because their manager or director is leading it. There's something, there's something uh, of a different essence when you can just drop in and know that you're going to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. We call it the container in council, mm -hmm. which is this space that's created when the participants just sort of allow themselves to be present. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always start and often many facilitators start with, a, you know, some mindfulness, some sort of breathing practice or just a, a, a short meditation, something that's going to allow you to transition. And I think that's what that's what's really powerful about council, uh, whether with businesses or in anywhere, is that it acknowledges the transition that, OK, we're going from this space to a different space. And I always sort of pitch it like it's connecting, but in a different way, because of course, like in, in a, in a meeting, you know, you might check in and say, Hey, how was everyone's weekend? And people might go around a circle and then you get into the business of what the meeting's about where, when it's just a dedicated time to have this space for us to connect in this different way, there isn't that feeling of like, okay, we're just sort of doing this kind of to get through to what we actually are, the purpose of this meeting is, yeah. you know, it's really like, this is the purpose, right? Just yeah. that, like, let's drop in and just be with each other and connect. And <clears throat> the feedback that I always get is like, wow, that was really great. And then there's like all the other layers of like, I didn't know this person was from the Midwest and I had no idea that their parents, you know, our first generation living in the U.S. or so many things get revealed when you just allow that time. Thanks, Ken. Yeah. yeah. So as some of the beads that I picked up on to encapsulate pain points that draw businesses to invest in a practice where we're essentially using what I don't love that we call these soft skills using our listening power and our empathic skill set the pain points that draw business leaders to this practice can include disconnect loss of trust a feeling of being remote right so yeah we're working remotely but do we feel remote that's different also anxiety and depression, which are indicators of essentially being out of the moment. You're either in the future or you're in the past. 
And that can happen so frequently when we've lost touch with ourselves, and we've lost touch with our teams and those we're relating to on a daily basis. So how we presence in this container and what you're talking about of the feedback of like learning as well, these unrevealed human details, that's so much of what another need we're seeing today in businesses, which is a greater attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And not just through the lens of what not to say, how not to say it, how to not put your foot in your mouth, rather how to generate empathy in a way that's authentic and built from the heart. So this brings us to the container that you mentioned. Could you please share with us the recipe? What makes council council? If you were to just break it into simple parts that could draw a picture simply for someone who's not ever experienced this before. Sure. Well, uh, it starts with that, that bit of mindfulness that, okay, we're just going to, I invite people if they want to shut their eyes or fix their gaze somewhere in front of them and just, whether it's some deep breathing, whether it's a bit of stretching, just anything that will kind of allow them to get to be present and sort of out of where they were. Cause, and I, I and always, I'm like, if you can please shut down your other windows you have open, your calendar, your email, cause I know remotely there's always that like, well, I'll just leave this open. And I always also say for companies, if you, if there's something pressing and you need to have your message, your box open, that's okay. So it's about making people comfortable. And always for me, it's meeting people where they are, right? Because if somebody's like, oh, I've got this pressing thing and I want to be here, I acknowledge like this is a business day. And uh, these sessions take place during working hours. And that's something that is all is important for the company because it's letting their it's letting the employees know like, okay, the company wants us to have this time together. This isn't something I'm doing after hours or I have to get out of my own day. This is during working hours, the company's giving me this time to connect with my colleagues. So that also helps create that container because it's a set time designated just for this. It's introducing the four intentions, um, speaking from the heart, uh, allowing yourself to be authentic and not present. And I always share that this is a, an opportunity because oftentimes I know you're preparing slides or you're, you're, you have a meeting or, or what you want to say. This is that, that space where you don't have to do that. You can just be yourself. Listening from the heart. It's a listening practice. This is uh, allowing ourselves to listen without judgment. And if you feel yourself making a judgment, just acknowledge it and let it pass. Don't follow it down that hole of... Uh, what did that person say? I want to Google it. I want to fact check it, which is what we often think about. I often think about, I'll speak for myself, uh, being spontaneous, the third intention. So if we're allowing ourselves this opportunity to not plan what we're going to say, then we're probably focusing more on listening. Because if we're planning what we're going to say while people are speaking, then often our attention is split between you know, my, ooh, I want to get this right story. And I always encourage people to let the story that whatever's there to come up in that moment, because you might've thought initially you were going to share something and then you, you know, allow yourself to be spontaneous. You're focused on your listening 
to the other people sharing. And then you share, whoa, I don't know why, but I'm going to share this. And it's something that someone else in the circle needed to hear. And this is, I just want to add, this is just one of the magic pieces of counsel. And I think it is the area that can be very exciting for businesses because it is the birthplace of new ideas. It's, it's getting, it's the moment we're able to transcend what we thought we knew and who we thought we were, because we're being willing to listen to what wants to come through us, even though it might be a story that I was present for in my own life. Suddenly I'm sharing a story when I've let it come through spontaneously and I'm, I'm thinking about, honestly, the clients I work with, um, because you said the essentially the art of not presenting is what you're learning in counsel. And I work on the art of presenting right. with people. And so what I love about you using that framing of not presenting is so many presenters are stuck in presenting that they're not able to be authentic right. and therefore they lose the connection with their audience. And so yeah. counsel is an antidote to our presentation culture so that we have a reference point in our body of what it feels like to let a message come through us instead of trying to control it and manipulate it and guide it where we've in a in an essence we've lost faith in the current of energy that's flowing through us always so i just wanted to really yeah no and that. and and there's a certain vulnerability when you allow yourself to speak from the heart and that's scary for some people. Absolutely. And it's and it's not because I don't know what I'm going to say, because, you know, especially when you're working with adults, you know, there's there's a certain amount of experience that's going to lead you to just not, you know, blurt out something inappropriate. And obviously it's a workspace. So you're you're cognizant of that. Yet, if if you can speak, allow yourself to be authentic and speak from the heart and not get into this whole planning and presenting, then essentially you're letting people get to know you a bit more, which is what makes us all, you know, get excited about connecting with people is that, oh, I got to learn about this person in that way. And I've only known them in this sort of specific, you know, how they present at work. And it it can be measured. It doesn't have to be this, you know, um, outward extroverted sort of uh, this is who I am. Look at me. It's really can just be a very um, carefully said and, and thought about, but still allowing yourself that moment of being present and not planning. And uh, I love seeing the look in people's eyes when when somebody shares that way. And oftentimes they might say, "Oh, I haven't shared this at work before," or and it's people that they maybe they've been on a team with for years. And somebody goes, wow, I, I didn't know that. And then uh, that moment of connection is what builds the trust yeah. and, and builds the empathy. Yeah. The, the last intention, you know, to be focused or succinct in your sharing. And I always say just to be mindful of, you know, the size of the group and the time that we have. And I think that's another part of the container is uh, and being a trained facilitator is knowing, okay, we've got this. 15 minutes or an hour, however long it is. And to, to have an awareness around keeping that, not just you know, letting people go at the right time because they've got other things happening, but I, I'm always aware of like, th- th- this is a form that, that 
in essence, kind of has a beginning, middle, and end in a way, you know, um, whether it's finishing it with a witness round or, or letting people kind of have that moment of reflection, what resonated with you. Uh, I'm always, I'm always very aware of, I want them to feel complete when they leave, right? Because it is an experience. It's something that kind of, you know, we pass into the threshold, we, we, we go through the, the form and, and, and hearing and sharing stories. And then there's that, okay, now we've got to move on through our day. And you want people to feel a sense of like, okay, like I, that was something that happened. And, and now I can, you know, go on to whatever's happening for me next. And hopefully leaving them in a, in a place of, you know, feeling connected, feeling a bit energized and, and ready to, to move forward in a way that maybe they thought um, or they didn't expect to give them that more energy. I find that when we connect with people, we have more energy and then we continue through our day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in a meta way, I'm seeing our conversation about counsel and a counsel <laughs> itself, right? As its own story. So our beginning, we've given our, you know, people around the fire here, a sense of what is counsel? What are we talking about? Where is it coming from in California? How is it entering the work world? We've touched a little bit on, you know, or alluded to and foreshadowed that it exists in companies like Snap, what used to be called Snapchat, and it's being considered at TikTok and other companies are using it. And you certainly bring it to companies and, and you know, colleagues in the space and other facilitators bring it into organizations. I want to go deeper now, bringing in that medicine of story. And you alluded to the look in people's eyes when they're hearing something new, the building of trust. That's right. And I'm thinking of a moment to add my story here. I was down in Ecuador for two and a half weeks. You know this. And I got back two weeks ago. And honestly, it's a story I'm still unpacking. So there are parts of it that I feel mute about. And then other sides that I, I was finally able to share with a friend of mine who could give me her full attention at the end of us hanging out on Saturday night, we had been hanging out for hours. And then finally she said something and she, and that something she said about the polyvagal theory and trauma and how she was ready to go into a deeper part in her, in her therapy work. I was like, okay, okay. I am ready to share a story from this trip. And she sat with me and she gave me her rapt attention and I was able to take her through the, especially through the sequence of ayahuasca ceremonies that I experienced down in the Amazon. And one of our guides, I'm layering this now, one of our guides, Steve Tornedin, who leads these journeys and has been for years with the Pachamama Alliance, bringing people from organizations in the United States and in Europe and around the world into the Amazon by invitation of the Achwar. So the indigenous groups in the jungle are inviting us there to learn and receive the wisdom and receive the perspective that they have around the earth and caring for the earth and bring it back into our Western world. Steve, this guide, 
looks at me one day as we're sitting around the table overlooking this tributary of the Amazon River. It's gorgeous out. We've had a beautiful breakfast. We're sitting around with members of the group. It's after the meal. We're sipping the dregs of you know instant coffee. And he shares a story about a subject very deep and dear to his heart around listening and the power of listening and not just any listening, but like deep listening and listening without expectation. Whoosh. That's rough, right? That's, that's, that's level. That's ninja level listening, no expectation of results. And he ends this story about how he listened to his wife about something and he really wanted her to do something and she didn't want to do it. And then when one day she shared about this thing, he heard her so deeply without expectation that she decided she just decided on her own to go the path that he was hoping she would take. And it was just this magic moment. I had tears in my eyes. And he said, what I learned from that moment was there's nothing more powerful in the universe than being heard by you or just being heard, right? Mm-hmm. You as the other. I want to ask you, Ken, from that feeling, because I, I really believe in power of counsel to be that hearing, to be the heart ears that we so deeply, deeply need. Does a story come to mind from your experience bringing counsel into an organization? And I perhaps this is in Los Angeles, where we are. Perhaps this is in the Ukraine, where you brought counsel while you were working in Europe. Is there a moment where you watch the power of hearing change somebody that left an impression on you? I know that's a big question. Well, as, as we do in council, um, it's uh, the story that comes up. And it was actually a moment um, where, because in a lot, a lot of situations, um, especially in companies that are unfamiliar with this practice, it's about creating buy-in. And, uh, and I understand that there's a skepticism that comes when it's something that you've never done before and you haven't learned. And uh, it was in London, actually. London, um, when um, we were doing a circle about um, uh, it was Mother's Day. So uh, the theme was about women in your life that, that inspired you, that provided inspiration and that um, have an impact. And uh, we were, it was mostly women in this council. Uh, it just happened that this one time, this team was mostly women. And I say, you know, there's a, a, a certain amount of buying because when I arrived in London, um, uh, culturally, it's, it can be, um, they can hide things close to the vest. If, if you know the, you know, hearing, uh, you know, making a stereotype about, you know, people from, from the UK. Uh, and then I would say, but every time I go to a pub, all I hear is people sharing stories. And then the response would be yes, but that's that's with having pints, right? <laughs> so it was that making that available to them when you're not having pints and you're well, the sitting, pint is the threshold, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, the social lubricant 
often is is something that makes people uh, open up, as we know. And and so there was that connection of we can do this here. We can do this. And a lot of it is also how you're working with clients. And that's why it's really effective to do counsel and business, because if it's a client facing business uh, or even if you're working with colleagues, that deep listening is really effective. And it's something that you want to learn. We were sharing in this council, uh, the piece went around and uh, uh, this woman shared about her mother being like her best friend and how, you know, she felt really close to her and her mother, uh, you know, taught her how to be independent. And I can tell someone in the circle was getting emotional. And um, again, this is when that container really comes into play because uh, it's challenging. You don't want people to get upset, but of course it's going to, sometimes it happens. Something gets touched. And I think the other importance of, of doing this in businesses is that so much of our work life and our personal lives are now blurred because either we're working from home or we spend a lot of our day at work around our colleagues. So there was the beauty of her feeling comfortable to, to get emotional. Uh, and then there was the, the challenge of uh, can can the circle hold her and can can she be okay doing this? And it turned out that she, you know, had a, a, a really challenging time with her own mother. Her mother was a, a, an addict that was in and out of rehab and, and oftentimes not available or not there. And as, as a facilitator, I'm always wondering, well, how, do, you know, how is this serving? How is this helping? And also like, is, is, is this person okay? That's always the health and wellness is always number one. And in the end, it became a very cathartic moment for everyone in the circle because they were able to hold the space for her as she shared this, you know, really, you know, sensitive experience uh, being raised uh, and living with this woman and then also um, allowing herself to hear stories of women that were empowering. So you never know where it's going to go. And uh, as when a, when a practice is like at a company like snap, where they, you know, you're on, when you onboard, like your first 30 minutes, you're sitting in circle. You know, you're in a council. And so when it's a part of the sort of lifeblood of the company, um, there's a different resonance that it has. Uh, and um, there's a power in it that is kind of uh, difficult to explain. And, and um, I was thinking about the initial question. And that happens in council too, that I don't know what it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hope I answered it. <laughs> so that, that moment there, yeah, no, I think you did answer it though. <laughs> like what, what happens when someone feels deeply heard? Right. And there are two things that your story about this woman in London tease out to me. One is the cathartic moment that, 
can help change her life in a beautiful, powerful way, because, you know, we're only, this is a, this is a, a phrase from 12 steps recovery, which is we're only as sick as our secrets. Right. And so this feeling of, I have to keep this hidden. Right. And, and I am not saying that I'm promoting us going to work and revealing our deepest, darkest secrets to each other and therapy. That's not my intention here. What I am saying is that in that moment with a container created probably over time, I I don't know, I can ask you that um, this could happen in the first council, but what also happened, the collateral beauty of this person sharing her story is that anyone else in that circle who just got to watch her have a moment of opening catharsis could, maybe they don't have a mother who's dealing with addiction, but they might have a brother. They themselves may have dealt with it. Their father, a friend, right? Addiction is pretty prevalent in our world or some form of mental health challenge. This is really common. And we are in the process of unstigmatizing these challenges we live with as humans, especially integrating with technology. So the medicine she offered was her of her own healing and of her own pain being revealed. And that I think is important to share because it's actually very efficient. So for business leaders to hear the sense of, you mean one person could have a revelation or a transformation in the moment. And that that container is built in such a way that then it could cascade across the group. So one person did it like a lightning rod to affect the team. Now the team feels a sense of trust. Now the team can take new risks. Now the team can lean in. And it just took one person in a matter of how many minutes of that day. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and you could tell that there was a shift in the quality of the sharing, right? Because once one person allows themselves a little bit of vulnerability and speaking from the heart, that's what, that was the story that came up for her. Um, So it's, there's an honoring that happens where again, going into that space of non-judgment and allowing the story that needs to be shared to be shared. Um, And as companies focus on wellness, you know, for me, what makes council so powerful is that it's experiential, you know, sitting in a slideshow about health and wellness uh, or about, you know, um, different challenges, you know, whether mentally or physically, that's one thing, but, but sitting in circle and hearing your colleagues and your friends share direct experience uh, to me is much more impactful. Indeed. And it is why you mentioned this earlier, why we love movies, why we love TED Talks, why we love listening to, you know, the leaders in our organizations that captivate us because there is that energy of vulnerability, authenticity, slight risk-taking because they're, they're revealing personal sides of the human experience and that's relatable and bullet points are really hard to relate to because we're not data 
alone. We're, we're living messy, fleshy things. And we're doing our very best to live in a way that doesn't cause harm um, and promotes joy and interconnectivity. I want to ask you, keeping a little bit with this thread of your work and why you have a business in counsel, how could you possibly support yourself with this practice, right? Like, how do you measure success? How do, how do your, how do your clients measure success? Is it different in the Ukraine versus London versus uh, the U S or the middle East? Like what are these metrics you're working with and how do you have that conversation with your clients? Well, there's a variety of ways there's, you know, the surveys that companies send out where they have like a happiness score or, and they, you know, take all the data, as you mentioned, and, and analyze it and then output, okay, this is like the contentment of the company or the, these specific teams. There's retention, looking at, uh, you know, uh, are people staying around or are people staying around for extended periods of time? Uh, you know, if not, what's the cause of the turnover? And oftentimes it's that they don't feel connected. They don't feel that the company cares. They don't feel that uh, they know their colleagues well, or they feel isolated in what they're doing. So there's one aspect of, of looking at that data. So if I go into a company, I say, well, what, what's going on culturally? You know, do, do you feel like people are happy? Do you feel like there's a level of dissatisfaction? And if so, what, it is, what is it and what's, what might be causing it? I can share them the data from SNAP is that, you know, retention went up 25% in the areas that we were having a lot of counsel consistently. Uh, and that the happiness score of the company was uh, at least the last year I was there in 2020 was 85, which is high. Um, and that's also, you know, we were, we were doing other things. We were doing offsites. We were, um, you know, giving sometimes overnights. So council-based experiences where you do some art. We would have drum circles. We would do council, traditional council, uh, sharing meals, like this whole, this whole spending time together. And then you can weave in the two-hour presentation from, from certain team leaders uh, for business and creating that balance is really essential. Uh, and uh, the other aspect that I present is having done it in Ukraine, in China, in Dubai, is that it, it transcends all cultures. Uh, and if there's a language barrier, I'm always uh, encouraging them to share in their own language. You know, like, this is for you. I can introduce the prompt and uh, for example, in Ukraine, I would have somebody translate it because um, I don't speak Ukrainian and a lot of them also speak Russian, which I don't speak either. So it would be translated. And then uh, in China, um, they would always speak English. And I, I would ask them why. And they said, because you are our guests and we want you to also understand and hear us. And I would say, thank you so much. Please also, I want you to find the best way for you to express yourself. Uh, so 
again, going back to the heart of it, which is sharing stories. And uh, my experience has been that in all these different places, people are wanting to connect. You know, there's a certain uh, desperation around it. It's just like, I want to, to, to have this experience with these people in this way. So introducing it and giving them this, the time and space to do that is a relief. There's a sense of like, oh, oh, wow. Well, first there's like the, wait a minute, we get to have this time together, you know, especially <laughs> when you're doing like watercolors or things that just like getting into that playfulness, getting back to that, that element of just, you know, experiencing something with each other that's different in a different way. And yeah, people love it. You know, we can have fun. That's a great time. That's a great experience to connect as a group. And people don't feel pressure. You know, if I go out on a happy hour and I don't drink, I feel pressure. If I go, you know, on a team excursion and I don't maybe participate in that activity or I don't do that sport, you know, this is something everyone can participate in. I love that point, as well as the universal yeah. language of it transcending cultures yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned um certainly relief and even that sense of desperation to be able to connect right now that's so real we're coming out of a time of profound isolation in a way you know and it, i think there have been some significant um learnings and even healing return to self that could occur but a lot of people were without connection and babies die if they're not touched, if they're not held or seen or cooed to and nurtured, right? And so I'd like, would you mind sharing a few of the prompts? What kind of questions are you asking in these circles? What could you just like give us a little glimmer of like, if you were leading us right now, what, what are just a few of the questions? Well, there's always a great one that, um, um, if I'm working with a group for the for a first time, which is the story of your name, you know, giving your full given name that you were given on your birth certificate, and what's the story that you know or that you've heard, and then um, sharing nicknames, you know, maybe names you were given in high school. Um, another aspect of counsel is confidentiality. That if you share a story, we only would ask that you ask permission from that person. Uh, if you want to share somebody else's story outside of the circle. So, um, and that's, uh, I think also about creating the container and people feeling safe. Um, a recent council I did with a board of directors at a school, uh, the, the ask from uh, my contact there was, um, we want to celebrate each other's culture. We don't all know how people celebrate and in what, they follow and rather than make it religious i just uh the prompt was uh what did you grow up uh what was the tradition you had growing up a tradition that you're you know either your parent or or some of your family members that you would do pretty consistently um and then the next one was uh what's uh, a tradition that you've brought from the from that you used to do with and that you do with your current family 
or friends. Another aspect is don't leave anyone out. Uh, the majority of the people had families. I knew that because I, you know, had asked and did some research, but there were a couple members that, uh, you know, were younger and didn't have families yet. So maybe it's a tradition that, you know, you know, you brought along and do with friends when you gather. And then it was, um, you know, as we do our best to keep up to date with our kids and how they're, you know, using social media and things, um, what's a new tradition, something that you do with your family now that you started as your own. So it was kind of this weaving through the history of their upbringing and, and then getting to kind of what are some traditions they created. And the stories were wonderful, really deep, really, you know, um, poignant. And then, uh, you know, the learnings when we sort of did that last sort of witness of, you know, people marrying interfaithly and then following the traditions of their new partner and how much they love celebrating that tradition. Uh, so yeah, sort of a couple. I, I love that. <laughs> and it does help give a picture. I, I hope it, it does. It just reminds me of how fun this is because it, it just brings in so much color you know, yeah. I know for myself, like working with businesses, working on presentations, public speaking, it's, and I'm a creative writer. I'm a creative person by, by, we all are by mm -hmm. nature. And I love expressing myself creatively. And I find after a lot of work with my corporate clients and in corporate um, environments, I watch my writing style change. I watch my communication style change. We start to adapt to the culture we're within. And so it's sort of like tilling the soil and adding fertilizer into the ground of the organization to add these human stories. There's a great book I read recently for a coaching training program I'm in um, called Leadership and Self-Betrayal. And there's this wonderful tipping point moment in the book when you hear from this extremely well-accomplished CEO of a fictitious company, but you see he turns this company around through the practice of no longer betraying self. And there's an interesting way he defines this. It is essentially we betray ourselves when we start to see other people as objects. And when we do see other people as objects in our life or pawns in our chess board, uh, you know, whatever that is, and it's small, it happens in teeny tiny moments when we forget to ask a colleague how they, they were or an important moment in their life, a wedding or a funeral they had the weekend before and you dive right into the project, tasks needed, right? You miss that moment of, I see you, you are a human to me. And when we don't do it, we go into a practice of, or a, a ricochet of, uh, effect of self-justification. And then we start ju self-justifying. How come they're not, they should have been earlier with that project. They should have, they did it poorly. We're judging them because we've actually disconnected from our own humanity and our human connection with others. And counsel and these stories you're talking about, the story of my name, these intimate, holographic, kaleidoscopic things of being alive in this universe, we miss it. And suddenly everything goes gray and 2D and people of course start going, what's the meaning of life? What am I doing here? 
I don't need to work at this corporation. I'm going to go start my own thing. You know, like I need meaning in my life. Humans are the meaning makers. So if we miss that, we stop showing up. I mean, so much of productivity is lost because of lack of engagement. Yeah. Right. So what I hear is the antidote to some of these challenges. And I want to ask you, like, just as a demonstration for a moment, what's the story of your name? <laughs> My full name is Kenneth Mark Rosen. It's Mark with a C. And I've asked my parents, well, why? Because Kenneth isn't, you know, culturally I'm Jewish. My, actually, my family's from Ukraine generations back and parts of Russia. And they just say they liked it. They just say that, <laughs> I don't know, like I saw the name somewhere and, and it, they liked it. It's no one, it's not anyone in my family. It's not handed down. And uh, I say, why Mark with a C? I don't know. We just saw it somewhere and we liked it. Um, <laughs> and and that's a moment too, because, you know, I, I often will, you know, when I introduce a prompt, depending on the group, but I'll, I might share first to sort of give that example. And it lets people know, like, you might not have some compelling story and that's okay too. But it's just the idea that I'm willing to share that with you even though, and, and not feel like, you know, cause someone will, you know, most certainly have some amazing story about how my great, great grandfather had this name and it's been handed down, you know, variations and, 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 and sometimes they'll get into the story of, you know, what their parents did. Uh, and yet it's a, it's a, another example of like, there's no judgment, you know, you can, you can share that story and it might not compare to others, but you know, when we compare, we despair. And the idea is to just allow yourself to be who you are and people appreciate it as you, as I appreciate it when someone shares their story. What's the story of your name? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, my, my full name is Rose Anne Bloomfield. And somewhat similarly, you know, Bloomfield's my father's last name. And I think it's got English origins. A lot of people will think it's Blumfield. I'm not Jewish. I've dated mm. Jewish men. I'm <laughs> familiar with Jewish culture. I love it. But I myself am not Jewish by blood or heritage. Um, Anne came from someone on my father's side, but I don't even know this person. The, the story isn't even clear to me, right? Like it's just sort of Anne and it's Anne with an E. And then Rose, because and I think I was named the the day I was born on my due date in this apartment, no less next <laughs> that room right there, 34 years ago in August. And my father delivered me. My parents thought I was probably going to be a boy. My name would have been Dakota. And I was born and I was pink and I was plump and they went rose. And I, I like heard because of the pink and because I kind of smelled like roses, but see, these are the funny things. Like, have I added these elements? Did I like right. this more? But I, I know it wasn't like, it's the name of your great grandmother from the right. fields in London, you know, like, no, it's yeah. And, and then Rose Bloomfield, certainly, you know, every now and then I get people who raise their eyebrow and go, well, that's poetic. And I'm like, yeah, my father uh, was studying in Berkeley in the sixties. So that's also possible. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I love 
also kind of normalizing this doesn't need to be profound, transcendent show of depth. It can simply be a moment of like, oh, hey, well, that's kind of funny, you know, like, <laughs> good yeah. to know. And, and, and as a reflection, I have a, a brother named Dakota. Wild. Right? And I hung out yeah. with my friend Dakota this yeah. morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the spider webbing, right? And we yeah. go, oh, connections and oh, then new conversation. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to to help us bring this to a close here, Ken. Is there is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners? about this practice or, or how maybe we could all bring it into our life right now, right? If there was one way we could bring it into our life right now, what we are needing and what we're so desperate for, is there a way of living counsel? Yeah. I, I mean, that um, is for me at the heart of it is, is not just when I share the form with a group and, you know, my hope is that they bring it into their everyday life. And whether that's sitting around the dinner table with your family and then it's, can we, let's all share a moment of joy, something that made us smile from our day today, or let's all share something we've learned in the past week. You know, there's easy ways to incorporate counsel. We call them stealth counsels where you don't have to light a candle or, you know, have a talking piece, but you can just, you know, find a way to ease it into a, a, a conversation or if there's a a moment where there's silence and and you are wanting to connect with the people that you're with and you know this is a a form that is easy and people respond to it and you don't have to go into like that um make it a a a big sort of transition it can be very seamless and i think it is and so that's for me, um, the beauty, you know, when I see other people doing it, or I've had people in, in companies, you know, send me a, an email and say, like, I, you know, I, I ended up doing a council over the holidays with my family and, you know, it was really great and they all loved it. And I think we're going to make it a regular part of, you know, when we all gather together. So, yeah. I love it. And one of the traditions of the path and purpose podcast that started about halfway through the uh, conversations is the last guest passes a question on to the new guest. Oh, cool. Lillian Soderman, who you know in the council world, who is working at Salesforce today and is a musician. Sure. Leads council. She was a guest last and her question was, for you, passing mm-hmm. your talking piece, who, and I'm going to ask for kind of like the haiku version of an answer. Okay. Who are you becoming? I'm becoming someone who has more faith than fear. And what is your question as you pass the talking piece to the next person? Mm. What lights you up? Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Take care. Be well.